This is Minute 78 of As If, the podcast about Clueless, where we talk about Clueless minute by minute. I am your host, Darren, and today I am joined by two very special guests. First, I have uh, Nick. Hello, Nick. Hello. And I have Scott. Hello, Scott. I'm totally bugging, guys. (laughs) I should have said something. For fans of a different minute by minute podcast, you may recognize their voices. They are currently in the middle of covering um, Back to the Future 2. Mm -hmm. As this episode airs, I think you'll you'll be like two minutes behind me. You'd be like on episode 76 or something. Yeah, something like that. Uh, I can't remember how many minutes are in Back to the Future 2. 110. 110. Yeah. Christ, that's crazy. <laughs> I uh, So far, when it comes to minute-by-minute podcasts, I've picked everything that has less than 100 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it really derailed our Meet Joe Black minute plans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This this one this one tops out at ninety seven and I think that is enough episodes mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to a minute by minute podcast. Um, today we are covering minute seventy eight. It starts with Ty delivering the cruelest possible line to share mm. her, her now former mentor. The student has become the teacher, and we finish the minute as Cher begins wandering around Beverly Hills mm-hmm. um, to the strains of "All by Myself." Mm-hmm. Um, Ty Ty's a real jerk. Um, yeah. And, and you know, it's funny is it, it, she has spent this whole movie and, and, you know, she has these, she, she has these two things that she knows about her, these two negative things that she knows about Cher that she can use against her. And that's from my experience in high school, that's a very real thing because high school students aren't clever. They just, they find just the worst things they can possibly say to you. And then they say them to you. And it's worth noting that, that, um, Ty and, um, Josh are the only two people that know that Cher has failed a driving test at this point because mm-hmm. she's just told them like two minutes ago. So the fact that that Ty has that insult ready to go with the the, the second part mm-hmm. um, because I don't think Cher's that concerned about being a virgin. Like her sexuality is not something that she's you know she she thought about doing it with Christian. Yeah, but, you know. So so that's not, I don't think that like it's I think it's just a combination of those two things. And the thing is, as well, is Brittany Murphy's delivery of the line, like, where she's like, you're a virgin who can't drive. Like, the emphasis that she puts on that line is Mm -hmm. just so, like, if, and the fact that there's, like, a few seconds before Cher even responds shows how, like, how she's cut her straight away. Mm -hmm. It's, it's like, such a a savage moment. Because what she's really saying, I think, in, in this moment is she's using these two examples as a reason to not listen to Cher. Because she's like, what do you yeah. know? You're not, you're, you've never had sex and you can't drive. You don't know anything. And there's so, a word for that, Scott. <laughs> right. <laughs> there sure is. Um, but, uh, you know, so it's just, it's, yeah, I mean, she just, that's, that's a very teenage thing to do, it, especially a teenage girl thing to do is, you know, find the harshest way to say a thing. And, and so like, I, I'm both, I'm both cut by this, but also kind of impressed by the writing. <laughs> Because it's yeah, very realistic. It is, it is very – I mean like we've all had fights with our close friends and, you know, to, to become close with someone and intimate with someone is to let them know what your, 
you know, one thing is, you know, because we all have those like handful of insecurities and doubts and stuff. And, you know, like when you when it's a responsibility to be that close to someone, you know, and uh, and, and, yeah. and it is a, it is like a very serious trespass in a friendship when like you say the one thing, you know, and uh, I, I was reading the script uh, prior to the minute, like just, you know, just kind of reading the screenplay and um, God, the weight that the weight that Alicia Silverstone brings to the scene that no disrespect to the screenplay, but, but isn't on the page yet, mm-hmm. you know, cause, cause, yeah. cause you, cause you read like, that was harsh Ty, And you're like, okay, well, I, that was way harsh, no, way, ha- <laughs> way harsh, way harsh. Yeah. And you're like, that's where, that's where the emphasis comes. Yeah. <laughs> and like the film, you know, the, the film in my, in my head is like, okay, that's like a, that's like a three moment. But then, you know, you see Alicia Silverstone's eyes and you're like, oh, this is, this is a, this is a nine moment just by, but by the strength of her performance, you know, mm-hmm. for sure. The, in this moment, Ty is dressed. She's where she's got like her hair is. This is like the kind of tidiest her hair is in the entire film. Mm-hmm. Um, when we when we see her like in ten minutes' time, it will have she will have kind of regressed a little bit more to the tie that we met at the start. But she's also um, she's in plaid. She's in she's in like a, a dark version of. <laughs> Of the kind of the yellow plaid that everyone knows Alicia Silverstone in. She's kind of in this like kind of bluish gray plaid. And it's, you know, she's got the top. She's got the the matching dress. She's got the knee high socks. (laughs) She's basically kind of like a mini Cher at this point. So the fact that Cher is getting these lines delivered from someone who is kind of like using her style and kind of dress the way she is, you know, that kind of makes it even more kind of like even crueler because it's like, She's taken on board everything that Cher has said about, you know, how to kind of improve herself. And the fact that she kind of also, she, she you know, after after the whole of, you know, the, the way harsh Ty. Ty is like, you know, let's talk when we've mellowed. And then she uses I'm Audi, which is like when we, way back when we first met Cher at school, that was what Cher said as she left kind mm-hmm. of um, Murray and um, Dion arguing. So it's kind of like Ty is not only taking her clothes, she's also taken her language. Yeah. <laughs> well, what I'm, which was something that she encouraged her to do. You know, mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta read some books that are not school books. So I'm I'm really glad that we got the the script pages because I've always thought. I mean, I've seen this movie probably a hundred times, and I've always thought when she says "I'm Audi," it was O U T T I. I was just about to say it. It blew my mind when it was spelled. <laughs> I was like, like, like Audi, like, like the car. What? what? It's it, yeah. It's from um, Audi Five Thousand. I'm Audi Five Thousand. Which is then shortened to I'm Audi. Yeah, right. What? Meaning I'm out of here. Is Audi five was know. Audi five thousand a model of Audi? I always thought that was just a random phrase that people said. No, I think I think it's just a phrase. It's oh, just something. Okay. It's it's just you know it's just a, it's just kind of it's like one of those things where like slang kind of starts being longer and gets shorter and shorter and shorter and to the point where you have no idea where it started, and that's what yeah I'm Audi is that's what Cher said way way back and. I don't know if the if you have the DVD if you've got the captions on. I'm sure that on there it says I'm outy as well. Huh. So yeah, I guess it just kind of changes you know, the but, word for me because now it's like is it okay? I'm gonna turn into an Audi, which is like a really <laughs> s- speedy, sleek vehicle, and then get out of here. <laughs> yeah. My friend in high school had an Audi, and it was it's, so nice. It's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, we used to drive it to the drive-in. I mean, that's from Amy Heckling. She's the one who. Like all the all this kind of slang that that was in Clueless, um, 
aside from one or two things that were said by Murray, which was Donald Faison, like, added those in, mm -hmm. uh, most of it was just made up by Amy Heckling. So, you know, like, Audi and Baldwin, and which we'll get to discuss in a little bit, you know, Boinkfest. All, the, all this stuff was just um, Amy Heckling's like attempt to just make up some slang that wouldn't date essentially she didn't want it to be she didn't want it to feel like it was 90s slang she just wanted it to feel like it was slang that these teenagers were using and so that in the future you know because they're not in other films they're not gonna they're not gonna feel dated they're not gonna feel part of the 90s they're just gonna feel part of the film mm -hmm. and ironically future generations now watch this movie and kind of you know like younger people who weren't alive during the 90s are like oh i guess this is what people said <laughs> yeah yeah keeping it real was the was the only kind of true slang that was put in mm -hmm. there and that was that was from donald Faison because amy heckling had written something else and he was like well that doesn't make any sense he's like i wouldn't say that but you know this is what I would say. You know, if I was trying to get a point across, I'd say, well, I'm keeping it real. And he, you know, when he's getting his head shaved, he just keeps saying over and over again. There's a great Shaggy <laughs> song. There's a great Shaggy song called Keeping It Real. But I don't know if it's if, if, if it's right before or right after Clueless, but I hope it was before. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to think that he's like taken it from Shaggy. <laughs> well, I mean, like Drake has probably given us more words than Shakespeare at this point, you know. <laughs> yeah, keeping it real was two thousand from Shakespeare. Oh damn! So. Okay, so way after. Okay, cool. They got it from Clueless. <laughs> Obviously, the cause of the conflict is that Ty wants to get with Josh. Who doesn't want to get with Josh? We're not going to talk about Josh, though. <laughs> hey, you brought it up. You brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the cause of the conflict, and this is this is what. Um, you know, this is this is why Cher feels that the chunks start to rise in her throat, which is a very, very graphic description <laughs> of what happens before you vomit. This kind of conflict between Ty and Cher comes from the fact that, that you know, Ty thinks she's good enough for Josh and Cher doesn't. But Cher is kind of like, this is the minute where she actually calls herself clueless. Mm -hmm. which until Up until this point, <laughs> other people had said to her that she's clueless or they'd said that it was Ty was clueless or... You know, they talked about her. You know, her and Dion had decided that other people were clueless. Um, and of course, when Christian sexuality was revealed, Cher realised she was clueless about that particular thing. Mm -hmm. um, but here, she finishes our minute by saying, "It all boiled down to one inevitable conclusion: I was just totally clueless." We just watched these minutes before uh, before we recorded, um, and uh, when that happened, Nick just started applauding. <laughs> <laughs> as he does any time the title of a movie comes up in the movie. I know, I couldn't believe how lucky we were to get this minute. <laughs> I know. You get you get the title drop and you get way harsh and yeah. you get um I just want to quickly mention that um in interviews after this film came out, Brittany Murphy, uh rest in peace, she said that when she delivered the line you're a virgin who can't drive, she was both a virgin who could not drive. <laughs> so she uh -huh. felt that that line you know when she delivered it she kind of felt a little bit guilty delivering it because you know that she was describing herself in that in that moment um but she she also felt that you know like if someone had said that to her, her at that point she would have she, you know it would have made her cry because she was that would have upset her so much to, that someone would pick that kind of thing out mm -hmm. as Cher begins wandering the streets of beverly hills 
um, dressed in um, her kind of like uh, see-through blouse that she wore to the Mighty Mighty Boston's party right. earlier. It's almost a 90s and, uh, thing I've in a... a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and she's wearing a, uh, you know, like she's got knee highs on as they always do. And she's, she's wearing um, like a, I don't know, like a diamond pattern dress. She starts wandering around and the strains of All By Myself begin to play. Um, but in this particular case, they're covered by um, coffee shop singer and poetess, uh, Jewel, who... Now, this film has, has been notable in that a lot of the bands that are on the soundtrack, um, they either became very big shortly after, like Radiohead, um, or they... And the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Or they were big just as this film came out and then they split up like within years uh, say like salt and pepper um but with jewel she ha- she ha- basically she hadn't really had a hit she like she hadn't actually done anything at, when in like 1994 like her album came out at the very start in 95 so while this film was being made like her album wasn't even out um, you know, her biggest her biggest hits, you know, You Were Meant For Me and Foolish Games, they came out, like, in 96, and Foolish Games was on the Batman and Robin soundtrack, so that came out summer 97, so, like, two years after this film came out, she was still releasing songs from her debut album. Um, so she wasn't really big, so getting her as the, like, the, the artist to cover all by myself mm-hmm. is is, like, such a kind of... Once again, Amy Heckling had this kind of weird thing for picking, um, you know, artists on this on this soundtrack. Um, so it's, I, th- I just thought that's an interesting choice of um, singer. I have a feeling they probably couldn't afford the Eric Carmen version. Yeah. Or, or they didn't want the Celine Dion version, <laughs> <laughs> which, in all fairness, I think came out after. Um, after this film so you know they, they wouldn't have picked that yeah and it's a good thing too because it really i actually have a pet peeve and and i actually really really hate whenever a movie resorts to uh an all by myself needle drop i just it, it's always hacky it's always an easy joke i like zootopia like one of the best smartest movies of the year when they did like a, oh blah, blah, i was like really what are we but but because it's a jewel version and it just, you know, it's just slightly, it feels like it's in the universe of Clueless, specifically this version. Yeah. And, like, it, it's actually one of the only times I can think in a movie where this is actually, it actually in, augments the moment instead of, like, makes it hacky. And it's an interesting choice, too, because they use it, I mean, obviously it starts in this minute, but then it continues on through the next few minutes all the way up to the revelation that we get a couple of episodes from now. And it, I, I remember watching it this time and really paying attention to the music and being like, really, we're still playing this song during this moment. That's <laughs> really interesting. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting as well because the song All By Myself is obviously, you know, like uh, originally written by Eric Carmen, apparently based on a Rachmaninoff piano concerto, which he was sued over. But it's about like, um, you know, being in a relationship and being out of a relationship. As, you know, Cher has never been in a relationship in this entire film or in her entire life. And so it's not that she's all by herself because she's out of love. It's because she's all by herself because her friends have all deserted her. And that's why she feels that she's by herself. So it's 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 an interesting use of the film, of the song, because 
it's strictly speaking not the context that the song is is in it's, it's being used in a slightly different way it's literally just being used for the words by myself basically mm -hmm. so i think that's interesting that they've taken a song that's like about romantic love and essentially turned it into someone being abandoned by their friends and i'm going to say there is one other good time when this song is used as a needle drop and that is uh the opening credits for bridget jones's diary when they use a celine Dion. Right, right 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 oh that's pretty good yeah <laughs> and then it then again that that works as not being in a romantic relationship mm -hmm, there yeah. but um i don't care what anybody says i'm still hyped for that next bridget jones movie. i saw the trailer for the first time <laughs> yesterday or the other day when and and it looked fine like yeah, it, it was like it okay this looks i mean it looks <laughs> as good as the second one you know what i mean yeah uh, we'll see. The second one is the second one is not good. The edge yeah. of reason. Um, <laughs> and you know what, Bridget Jones' Diary. It, that film is ninety-one minutes. So if you ever want to do a minute by minute Bridget <laughs> Jones' Diary, I guess inevitably you would have to do the second and third ones. But mm, you know, sure. <laughs> it, Jewel, of course, obviously, you know, she went on to be huge a couple of years after this. You know, she ended up on the Sing Off, which I don't know if you have watched the Sing Off. I watched the Sing Off because I like Ben Folds, but you know. Um, oh that one that acapella one. competition thing yeah oh, acapella yeah. thing okay you know so she did she did she was a judge on that for a little bit so mm. uh otherwise her career has kind of been a bit quiet she did a christmas album a couple of years ago mm -hmm. uh, you know she's uh she of course she was mocked mercilessly for writing a book of poetry that came out in like 1998 and it was like a you know like 20 pages and it was like 15 dollars or something it was just like <laughs> Yeah, that just seems like a, an odd move. Yeah, yeah. The nineties were not so the decade to put out a book of poetry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, d I mean, yeah, I, I mean, they sold it in coffee shops, didn't they? That was where she was discovered. So, um, like the whole coffee shop thing, kind of makes yeah. sense. Actually, I think I actually think that's where the atomic matter that became Jewel formed first. Inside <laughs> of a coffee shop. Well, it it actually formed first in Utah, and then she moved it to Alaska. Uh. Her uh, her grant. <laughs> Her her grandfather wrote the Constitution for Alaska, oh. uh, and I think negotiated it, its entry into the into the United States. So mm -hmm. she's she's a big deal up in Alaska. Her ancestor Stone. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I should did she just log off because of that? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think that's everything in this minute. Is, I mean, we're gonna get. Um, we're going to get Alicia Silverstone talking for quite a lot for the next, like, two minutes. So, mm. you know, is there anything else that you guys want to bring up from this minute? No, no. I'm ready to move on with the rest of the week. Yeah. Ah, well, before we do that, I have a very important question to ask you, which is, right. uh, when did you first see Clueless? And I'll start with Nick. When did you first see Clueless, Nick? You know, to be completely honest, it was one of those movies that um, kind of, you know, uh, to bring it on back to the, you know, I, I mean, I, I got I to gotta rep my home team. It kind of bring it back to Back to the Future um, it was one of those movies that I had seen through osmosis or like on TV or like through pop culture, like kind of like Pulp Fiction, where it actually took a while for me to sit down and watch Pulp Fiction all the way through and not just like wall channel surfing, you know, and Clueless was actually is actually uh, an experience like that, too, where, uh, you know, Scott and I are uh, kind of writing something right now, and uh, Clueless has come up uh, in, in terms of influences, uh, which is going to be really weird if this movie ever comes out. Um, for people to be like Clueless, uh, but uh, <laughs> but but I so I sat down and I was like, okay, I'm gonna actually I'm gonna actually watch this. So I really feel like I just watched it 
for the first time a few a uh, few weeks ago, to be honest. We're just after like the twenty first anniversary of it coming out, mm-hmm. so it can drink in America. Yeah, and, and here's the here's the funny thing: one year after Clueless came out was when the Spice Girls released Wannabe. So there's a lot of like chunky like you know footwear in this film. And obviously the Spice Girls were quite well known for that. So there's, mm-hmm. I don't know if maybe the Spice Girls were influenced by Clueless and it's, uh, it's fashion. I think we all um, were. <laughs> I know I was. Scott, when did you first see Clueless? Well, uh, I, this came out when I was 10, so I didn't see it in theaters. Um, but I saw it uh, uh, during spring break. I would stay with my grandmother um, and she would always – she would tell me like you're allowed to get one pay-per-view movie every every day like during spring break because it was i was i never went outside so i just watched movies um (laughs) and uh and i remember the week that i was on spring break so this would have been spring break 96 so i would spring break 96 yeah spring break 96 (laughs) and uh pay-per-view would do this weird thing i don't know what the purpose of this was but uh they would call it a weekend ticket which was that you would rent a movie on pay-per-view and then you could watch it as many times as you wanted over the course of the next three days. I did that with Clueless. And the way that it worked was <laughs> that you didn't get to just watch – you didn't get to just like hit play. You know, it was it was just like a cable channel that you were given access to for the weekend and it just played Clueless on a loop. Okay. And uh, I watched Clueless – I mean, I would I would say at least eight times that weekend, um, and then since then it's just been one of like those go to comfort movies that I really really love. And uh, before your podcast, I mean, honestly, I don't think we're getting a lot of play um, in sort of pop culture, you know, respect. Uh, and so um, I was really excited by the podcast. Uh, starting up because it was like ah oh, clueless yes <laughs> um but yeah no I've, i mean i've probably seen this movie i mean this was this was a movie that once i bought it on vhs um you know i wore it out i mean i, I watched it all the time because you know as a 10 year old you watch a high school movie and it's like watching another universe and you're like this is what my future <laughs> is gonna be like um and it wasn't it wasn't that much of a stretch because i i grew up in florida and Florida is like the New Jersey to California's New York, you know. <laughs> you know they're they're kind of similar, but one is obviously better. Um, <laughs> and uh, and and yeah, so so uh, it was there was a lot of you know when I got to high school, there was a lot of um, you know courtyards where you would sit out and you'd have lunch and things like that. I mean, it, the high schools I hear on the podcast, a lot of people be like, "This isn't what high school was like at all." And I was like, "It was for me in Florida. Like it totally was for me." So, yeah, it seems it seems like there's like two states out of the 50 where this would have been what it was like. And I, I would have said Florida and California would have been the ones that would have been mm-hmm. kind of accurate to that. Mm-hmm. It's interesting you say there was there was little play in pop culture because obviously last year was the 20th anniversary and there were some like cast reunions and stuff. And um, there was a there's a book called As If, coincidentally, mm-hmm. uh, which is like an oral history about the film. Uh, and Amy Heckling did some stuff last year about it, and as did Alicia Silverstone. So there was a little bit of it kind of like a year ago. Um, but yeah, it's weird because um, like if you if you look at when the kind of big kind of teen movies come out, and we'll kind of talk a bit more about this later on in the week, 
um, you kind of have like the John Hughes stuff is kind of like 84, 85. Mm-hmm. By 86, he was bored with teen stuff, mm-hmm. it, clearly. And he started moving on to, you know, kids being. Yeah, people falling into cakes. By themselves. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, you know, then you look at like Clueless, which is like 95. And there were a couple of other films around the same time. And then you look at like Mean Girls, which was like 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, and 13 going on 30 so there seems to be this kind of weird like 10 year gap mm-hmm. where where kind of like particularly influential teen movies for girls come out um because obviously there's a lot of teen movies in between all those time periods but like if you if you talk to any women you know like uh, you have like uh you know pretty in pink depending on whether or not they hate the ending in that dress um or like 16 candles um, and then you have uh, like Heather's and Clueless, and then there's like Mean Girls, uh, and then obviously there's some more like kind of YA stuff, you know, like Hunger Games and stuff like that. So they're kind of like it. It seems like once every kind of like decade, someone decides to make some films that that will be kind of influential for teen girls, and then they seem to forget about it for like ten years mm-hmm. until they realize, oh, we're there. Teen girls love stuff. Let's make films for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and and not even that, but, but it's like, well, let's make a movie that actually respects teenage girls. You know, because mm-hmm. you know, yeah. cause sometimes you get movies where it's like, you know, I mean, it's like those romantic comedies that are like four women, but then like the screenwriter weird has this like sociopathic hatred of women, you know, and uh, and yeah, and there's some minor. I mean, I mean, I mean, minor in terms of like success, not in terms of quality. But you have movies like Easy A and like The Duff, yeah, that kind of you know went under the radar, maybe weren't released at the right time culturally, and um, maybe you know it's interesting that um, I think the. Uh, this is how my brain works. The space and time between Clueless and Batman and Robin are two years, which is the same time between Easy A and Amazing Spider-Man for Emma Stone. Huh. People, actresses stuck being teenagers, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, although I don't think I don't think Batgirl was a teenager. Was she a teenager? I can't remember. It was really. No, don't it really was vague. It was film. weirdly vague. Like she ran I, away. I, she was a student. I don't know. Yeah. I think she was. She was dressed as a schoolgirl at some point. Uncle anyway, Alfred. we get to talk more about Alyssa. <laughs> we get to talk more about Alyssa Silverstone tomorrow, so yes. we'll save it for that. But otherwise, um, I know you guys have a number of different things to plug, but do you want to just pick one for today? Um, yeah. And then we'll we'll plug other stuff as the week goes on. Yeah. So, Scott, do you want to speak on behalf of your, yourself and Nick? Or I, uh, Yeah, I mean, the most obvious one is obviously Back to the Future Minute. We are, uh, as Darren said earlier, we're uh, reaching the end of part two. Um, very, very near the end. I think we've only got something like 30 episodes left. And, uh, and then we'll be taking a hiatus and coming back next year for part three. Uh, but yeah, you've got a whole backlog of the first movie and, uh, and most of the second movie that you can, you can plow through if, if you're so inclined. And they're on Netflix as well now. They are. Yeah. The whole trilogy. Are they? Oh, there you go. Yeah. Hey, I own them on DVD, so, you know. Well, any, any, any respectable person does. Yeah, yeah. Just like I own Clueless on DVD, mm-hmm. um, I own I own the whatever edition. <clears throat> so, and uh, I mean, do you have Twitters that you want to plug other than Back to the Future Minute, Nick? Yeah, just at Nick M as in Mom uh, Jimenez. Well, that was misleading. It's at Nick M Jimenez. Don't type in Nick as in Mom M as in Mom Jimenez. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. I hope someone has that Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're a jerk. They're a jerk because that takes up all of the characters. Uh, I'm just at Scott Corelli. And- so great stuff okay well thanks to you guys for joining me today hope you can return for tomorrow will do absolutely and we'll see you then goodbye bye
Thanks for listening to this episode of As If, the podcast all about Clueless. It's produced and edited by Darren Husted. This episode was hosted by me, Darren Husted, with my guests, Scott Corelli and Nick Jimenez. Like us on Facebook at As If, the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at As If underscore podcast. And follow us on Instagram, As If podcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes or the podcasting app of your choice. And please rate and review if you enjoy. Clueless is owned by Paramount Pictures. No infringement is intended. All rights reserved. Copyright 2016.